Welcome to Thousand East Sand episode 117 and it is me, Gary P and the Prof Carolini. I love derbies. Ah, how much do we love them now? And uh, this episode is brought to you by Ocean Electrical for all your electrical needs and they specialise in industrial and anything electrical pretty much, anything. So, uh, you know, as Bowles have a rival electrical sponsor. I didn't know. I heard not. that announced at the game. We won't even give them the name. But uh, funnily enough, we have a new competition. And anytime Watts, I'm trying to fit in as many puns here as I can. Anytime Watts scores a goal now, we will have a, look, a prize donated by Ocean Electrical. So, did they choose him for that pun? No, he didn't. I only said it to him. I said, Did you do that on purpose? And he was like, No, actually, that's, that's, it was just a coincidence. <laughs> So every time Dylan Watts scores a goal, we're going to give away a prize to one of our Instagram or Twitter followers. So what you have to do is tag Ocean Electrical and us, and then we will share it, and we're just going to grow from there. So the, the winner will uh, will be one of those when Watts scores his goals. So uh, fair play to Ocean Electrical, fantastic stuff. Like I said, for all your electrical needs, and you can get them on Facebook or info at oceanelectrical.ie. So uh, Prof, yeah, bit of a bit of a good weekend, I reckon. Uh, just a bit. Just things you love to see. Number one mm. and things you love to see is late winners file, at Daily Mount. File under subfolder. Things you love to see. Hook it to my veins. My yes. veins are full of <laughs> just last minute winners right now. But um, yeah, so we have our Dublin Derby review members corner with Sean Fields. And overseas member living down under in Perth and an interview with Cork City fan Nevo Matney ahead of Friday's game in Tala and our first home game of the season, Prof. Happy new season, kickoff time. Mm-hmm. So an update on our Patreon, it's been well received so far, even publicly endorsed by Emma Weedley who's been screaming from the rooftops for everybody else to become a patron. And she's dead right, because it's deadly. What more do you want? Yeah, I mean for a fiver you're getting so much stuff, man. It's actually hard to believe. The amount of stuff you're getting. We're actually stupid to give away the amount of crap we're giving away. <laughs> we're terrible businessmen. Awful. Awful. But, but as you said, there are fees involved. So, like, for example, this Vimeo subscription is surprisingly hefty. I know. They're f- the whole they these hit us, isn't it? The whole these large files, so... Uh, so, even with your donations so far, your generous donations, thank you very much to everyone who has. Yep. Uh, we haven't even broke even yet. No, so no, we will, though. Please dig Tifties out of debt. Yeah, we have badges coming soon as well, so keep an eye out for them. They will be in, arriving in the next couple of weeks. And we've uh, just put up the video of uh, our Quizmaster raffle. So if you want to find out who won that, check out the video on our Patreon. So if you want to be part of the exclusive club that are that is Tifty's patrons, you can sign up 
and you can find out who won the raffle and you can be a part of that one for next month when we come up with something else mm-hmm. so uh, definitely get on to www.patreon.com forward slash tifties so uh, yeah Connor Foley our beloved Barry he failed to figure out how to sign up but we'll, I'll, I'll school him on the nights and work don't worry and uh, he had he's struggling with a brolly as well <laughs> in, in Daily Mount such an adorable fella isn't he never change Barry ah never change yeah but uh, yet another yet another Rovers player received a podcast bump. Aaron Grain wins his group in Quifties, and then he scores last minute winner at Dalier. So we are pretty much a lucky charm at this stage, Prof. Yeah, really, are. club would probably fall to pieces without us if we stop, wouldn't it? I don't think you're exaggerating. Me, <laughs> I mean, we'd probably have to resurrect the club again. We said we're really keeping the club going here, you know. <laughs> but uh, apologies to Aaron. It was actually, me and you were sitting here laughing. Snobs, film snobs. <laughs> Put the bunnies back in the box, Aaron. And it was actually yeah. the, the right quote. How did we both get that How wrong? How did we both get it so wrong? Yeah. So it wasn't put the bunny down. It was put the bunny back in the box. Yeah, I so watched it again. Cameron and Paul, yeah. We are two absolute dopes. So next up, we're going to have our overseas member who signed up at Christmas time, I think it was, one of our gang ourselves, one of our buddies at Tifty's gang, and uh, Sean Fields, all the way from Perth. I'm a member! Okay, so we're back for another edition of the Members Corner, and we have another forced on Tifty's here. It's the first overseas member on Members Corner. It's the Liberty's born and bred, the Rover stronghold that is Kevin Street, and it's Sean Fields. Sean, what's the story? Welcome on. Not your first time on the show. No, no, not the first time on, but I'm a bit uh, more sober than the last time I was on. <laughs> not your first time on a different podcast as well. <sighs> Lad, I'm, I'm branching out all over the place. Aren't I? I'm a bit of a media whore like yourself. So tell us a bit, um, so you're in Australia now, tell us a little bit about that first and we'll get your backstory. Yeah, I, um, come over in December 2018. Been here since, haven't been home yet. Missed the best season at Rovers for ten years, so that was a bit of a bit of a killer. Now, we won't rub her in or out, but we did win a cup. Yeah, I know. Colonel Stapper reminds me every uh, every week that I haven't seen Rovers in the cup. So we will we'll talk about Rovers running through your family with your uncles and your dad. So tell us a bit about that and your earliest memories. Yeah, well, like when. League of Ireland was never really spoken about to me until um, I kind of remember seeing Rovers on the TV and a few lads from my club at Lourdes and a couple of lads at Lourdes followed Rovers. So they asked me that to bring me. Well, he said, oh, your uncle Derek and Eamon used to follow Rovers. And Derek and Eamon said they'd never go to watch Rovers then until they got their own ground. And in fairness, they stuck to it because um, they didn't come back until... Um, Till we got to tell her, like, you know, but I I was going with my dad and grew out I was going with my mates and then it, it came full circle and so I'd always go down with my uncles and my dad and, you know, family thing now. And then you became completely warped by the Tifties experience. Well, that's it. Uh, I'd, um, the away buses are, are for the Tifties boys. <laughs> the home guys are for family. That's it. So tell me, why did you come, why did you become a member? What sport are you on? Um, peer pressure from yourself in the group. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, it's just, you know, when, when you first start following Rose, especially me, I would have been, what, 12 and 13, and you, you just think, oh, should I 
they're a big club, they have money, you know, and Tony, as you get older, you realise the money you put into the club, it, it affects the club, you know, and that's really what it was about, you know, I wanted to be, I had a season here since 2009, but I wanted to take that next step, you know, I wanted to be part of my club and feel like it, it is, it is your club, you know, because at the end of the day, it is, it's a fans club, and I just wanted to be a part of that, I wanted to get involved, have me say, and contribute that little small bit you can, that little bit extra towards uh, the club, you know. Exactly, yeah, and, and, and like you said, as you grew older, you realised that this isn't just a football club, like it's... It's more than that, and then you become a little bit privy to the way it's run, and then you, you and then you realise, okay, well, there's a little bit more, there's the ins, there's outs, there's more to this, and then you just decided, right, I want to be a member, let's go for it. Yeah, and especially with the likes of listening to the lads like the whack and stuff on the podcast that you did about talent, and you realise that these lads saved the club, you know, and if it wasn't for them becoming members and putting that money in, we wouldn't have a club, so the way it's me kind of going, well, I want to try and, it's not paying them lads back, but it's like, they were good enough to do it at a time when we had nothing, at least when we have something now, it should be no bother to me giving money to the club, you know, exactly. I hope that we're never in that position again. There was a great story, I think, that when we really needed it most, I think 40 people turned up on at a bank on a Monday morning and all took loans out and gave it straight to Rovers so that's that's what you're dealing with that's the kind of that, 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 that's brilliant and that's that's what Rovers is that's it's a way of life and that's we've great people at the club you know and like you said like through the club you've met great friends and it, this this is just another part of being part of the club, you know. Yeah, it's an, it's a, it's the next step. But tell me, do you think that we can improve the current structure? Like, let's say, for instance, there was a couple of arguments, not arguments, discussions. Let's say reducing the fee, improve benefits, have a like a tiered structure like they do over in Australia with yourself with some of the rugby clubs and the and the Australian games. So, what what do you think? I, I think maybe maybe a tiered structure would be more the way forward. Do you not think price, that that could possibly I, dilute I, it? No, like, because like at the end of the day, I, I think I could say more is bringing more people in who, ha- who haven't got the money for a full membership True. rather than people who have full memberships dropping down. Because at the end of the day, if you, if you don't have the money, it, it's... You, you can't put it in, you know. Yeah. It's all right for people like myself, yourself. We have the money to contribute 50 euro a month. Some people don't have it. So maybe if you had even a 20 euro a month where it's may not get the car park pass or maybe you don't get a season ticket, but you get other advantages or maybe you don't get a vote. But it's something, you know, because um, there's a bit of work to be, be done on it. Yeah, there is. And Somebody more intelligent than me could look <laughs> into it, but well, you said it, it, should be, it should be, it shouldn't be exclusive to like we're not all in, we're all in different positions, and we should all still be able to feel part of the club some way, you know. Yeah, true, true, true. But we'll we'll speak a little bit about the Dermot Desmond deal. So when the speculation was rife about the deal. We spoke to members last season about their feelings on the potential issue and if it could happen and the deal is done now so tell me are you happy? Um, I think I am like initially when it came up 
I wasn't really sure because I didn't know what the ins and outs of it were. And I obviously last season I wasn't a member, so I didn't get to the meetings. But from what I heard from other members, it was positive. Um, we retain, um, I think, 50% sharing the club as members still. So, yeah, so, look, it, it's money invested into the club, isn't it? That's why I look at it. It's more money that we didn't have, so surely that's a positive if we, we retain majority uh, ownership of the club. But then it can't be bad. Then, can I? You can yeah. just look at it as maybe another big sponsorship if you want to look at it that way, you know? Yeah, I think when you went... Yeah, so I think, I think it will be positive. I think the people saying about the Celtic link, I don't think anything like that will come from it, any deals, but any money that can go towards building the club, building the road zone up the academy, I, I think that surely is a positive. Yeah, and it's something that wouldn't have materialised before, and it's a, it was too good of a deal to turn down for me, and it was unanimous as well. I mean, you couldn't have had a better vote, so... Like it really was the best way forward for us as a club, but uh, we're nearly coming to an end now. I know people are sick of you already, so if you were to convi- yeah. if you were to convince a fan who was on the fence to make the leap and become a member, if they had everything at their disposal and they just needed to be convinced, what would you say to them? My words would be: Look, it's the price of a couple of points. Yeah, you get to become a part of the club. You get to have a say in your club. Your one vote could be a deciding factor in a big decision in the club and you are a part of the club. So I'd say if you love the club and you have the money, why not go for it? It's a family club and it gives you a chance to be more part of the family. Exactly, exactly. So we'll leave it there. And that was Sean Fielder. Uh, from Kevin Street so Fields a nice one for having you on and I'll talk to you soon cheers Kat so Fields uh, he was on a podcast there recently the one we spoke about I can't remember what it was but it was pretty good he was speaking about Rovers away days and stuff like that and his, his, his other team is Man United so he was speaking about those as well but you can tell that's pain in him to, to yeah. miss it so much poor Kieran Stafford constantly giving him grief over not seeing us win the cup but have you seen Rovers win a cup yeah, yeah. unbelievable yeah um, you you call that the first overseas members corner? Uh, I might have to verify that one. Was was is Alabama Rover a member? So remember he came home when I interviewed him. He could be. He yeah. Did we have first. it as a members corner though? I'd have to go back and look now. I was thinking that myself. Yeah. I was thinking that was it a members corner? Or was it was just an interview, but officially forced from a different country. Yeah. So via a phone call. Via phone yeah. call. Yeah. Yeah, I was interested. In Hidden underneath like, a duvet just to soak yeah. up the sound, just so you know. It's proper dedication, isn't it? Like being a member. But not being able to go to the games ah, and wanting to support the club. It's another. It's yeah. an. It's another argument for another day as well. For overseas membership, but something needs to be looked at. So Fielder is in Australia. So is Dan Fulham. So Dan and Neville Stevens' family were all in a bar, ready to watch that balls game on RTE before it got cancelled. Oh, I don't believe you. Probably wrecked the place. And we had we had Kieran Farrell in China looking for links as well. Crazy Scarlet with the old Russian link up the back at the the Jody stand. Um, yeah, it was a. I mean, where where do we start? Like we beat Wales one nil in a, a drenched is an understatement. Uh, Dalyman Park in the first game of the season on Saturday. So the build up was same as usual. Me coming home from the nights and just sitting in my bed, trying to sleep, not working. So you're just sitting there waiting, wishing time away, and then finally it's time. Get up, get your shower, into the march, grab Jaden. So we're flying in, 
The Rovers are back. The Rovers are back and the the build up. So we go in and we're in Brannigan's beforehand. Everybody's starting to kind of slowly come in. Me and James Law were the first ones in and then it just it just slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then onto the march. The march itself we'll speak about that in a in a, in a little while, but the build up the Zosim, Zosimus documentary, is that am I saying it right? Zosimus. Mm-hmm. Uh very balls tainted. Yeah, it was, I think it was finished. I, I stopped watching after Mitzi jumping around with the can in slow motion and it says that's life. I can't I can't get any better. I mean that and the Copa ninety ones, they're both undoubtedly very good. But it's just the fact that we lost both games. Yeah. It kinda of sucks from our point of view. But they were from a bow perspective yeah. as well. That's yeah. that is the truth though. So Very well made though. Yeah, very well made, yeah. Kind of um, poetic, you could say. Mm-hmm. But uh, no surprises in starting 11. We thought we'd opt for Lafferty rather than Ferrugia, so a bit more steel and grit maybe down the left hand side. And um, it was the case in the end because he was excellent. That's kind of remarkable. Not one new player in the first starting 11 of a new season. And only one new player off the bench, Liam Scales. Yeah, it's well, considering the squad that we have, It's I don't know if you could say it's a good thing or a bad thing. But you have to be happy, very happy with the squad that we have. And considering the way the game went, you can call it right off because the conditions were insane. Absolutely insane. So much that the TV coverage was cancelled. I think the gantry just fell fell off. Or wherever it was, it's gone. It's tumbling down the road past Tesco. Well, it was un- unsafe for our D staff, but not for Jose and the gantry. So we have to protect them. But these Spanish goalkeeping coaches, they're dispensable. That whole hour leading up to the game, it, it really felt touch and go. Whether we'll go ahead. Genuinely, that's what we were all in the pub thinking. We were yeah. thinking, is this going to happen? And as we were just chatting to everybody around, gradually the crowd is building within the pub. We're thinking, right, the the, the dugout just flew away. Like, surely yeah. the game's going to be called off. They needed the under-17s kid to sit on it, to keep it grounded. But then I thought, to me, then, then someone else made a point. They were like, well, there's going to be 10 people sitting on it, so it's not going to blow away if you just sit on it. Which true, is true. Yeah. If you want to go down that road, it's not exactly health and safety, but... Yeah. The wind was wild all morning, and you were, you were kind of getting the feeling this, this might get called off, and then you hear about the TV. I mean, no problem with RTE staff feeling unsafe. Like, it's, it's dilapidated daddy mill. That's the problem. Uh, well, no, we'll talk about and that the problem is move The decision to move this game from Friday was just a farce to begin with. Madness. Absolute madness. And, and those listening to RTE radio... They actually switched to the Leinster game and horse racing during it as well, just to rub salt into the wounds. We'll talk about the march as well, which was well, in, in fairness, we did about 150, 200, <coughs> and considering the conditions, that's fantastic. So, great shout out to the Ultras. Now, anyone who turned up it was deadly. Brilliant, as usual. We marched in, we owned the place. Town stood still for half an hour, it was great. And um, Great to see Ta- uh, Pat Tohi Senior back. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. But like I said, when we rocked up to Doyle's corner, it was deadly. It was a scene. It's what we wanted. So, um, as for getting into the ground, they were, they were actually scanning tickets this time. It wasn't just the girl the turnstile going beep with her mouth. <laughs> so balls being dragged into the twenty first century, kicking and screaming. Actual scanners. Yeah. So um, I was like uh, the, the, these extensive checks that they spoke about, which were all true. Me and Jaden gone. Yeah, go on, Grant, go on in there. Yeah, I did too. I was like. Ten people in front of me were like thoroughly searched, and then someone shouted at the steward, and they just and they just said, uh, "Right, start profiling." Yeah. So he looked at me. Profiling. I actually use the word profiling. <laughs> Are you for real? Just looked at me and said, "Yeah, troublemaker." Yeah, you go on. Yeah, strip search. Get the gloves out. 
Um, Not cavity, cavity search. I don't look like a potential casual. <coughs> yeah, so um, onto the game. Uh, it wasn't. It didn't. The uh, heavens didn't open straight away. Not to go. But when it did, it fucking did. Um, the chances. Green, I saw one cleared off the line. Uh, great Lopez block from uh, from Twardek, and that was a this, super. Block. Oh, I think he started sliding at the penalty spot and just, <laughs> just kept going. I know. And when he did it, I just thought, oh, it's gonna be beautiful. It's oh, of fucking beauty. This was a those remote. are those are as good as goals, man. Yeah. I, they're amazing. We were playing into the wind in the first half. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Uh, it was a nightmare. Yeah. The game itself, it was just a right off. Pro- probably shouldn't have went ahead. Let's be honest. And uh, that pitch is going to be absolutely sh- cut to ribbons now. And the pleas from Bowles to the council. Mm-hmm. Can you please fix our pitch? Considering that the Bowles fans seem to yeah. have a feather in their cap about us being a ca- playing in a council-owned stadium. And now they're pleading, pleading with the council to fix their pitch. Yeah, Bowles fans say, oh, I wish we had the council buy us the stadium. Mm. But then also Bowles fans, please, council, fix our pitch. Yeah, exactly. Um, very little happened in that first half though yeah it was something that really fucking pissed me off as well was a flare stop throwing flares in the pitch lads stop You're throwing smoke bombs in the pitch we were just about to have an attack on goal like it was yeah. it was a really good move and then some fucking dope throws a flare or a fucking smoke bomb in the pitch just don't do it and the whole crowd turned on the person yeah. as well I don't know who it was we and save yourself we were all pissed just don't fucking do it and Borky's looking at us like what are you doing Yeah. like what are you doing we're just about to attack and the momentum kind of killed off for about five minutes, so lads, mm. get your fucking head out of your arses, like. Um, the best save, once again, <laughs> postage stamp, like, this is going on top, this was going crossbar in. This was going to be a worldly crossbar in. And I was in the perfect position. Whoever recorded that video must have been in the room where we were. <clears throat> I'm just looking at it going, bollocks, that's going top corner. And then he plucks it, like fucking Clark Kent. Flying through the sky, just plucks it out of the top corner, and I was like, "Wow!" From where I was, I just uh, Ward was so far out, and it looked like Manus saw it all the way. So from my angle, it just like just like looked like a good save. And even people around me were like, "Ali, you expect him to save that? How do you expect that?" And then like I watched it back, no, and like there was power in it. There, it was and, a, it was a rasper, and it was a super save. Yep, um. What else have we got? The atmosphere prof place was a, uh, it was it was rocking for a, for considering the the day itself. Like I mean, everyone was just content with being drenched. Or like, okay, fuck it, we're soaked. It was a uh, sort of muted, I suppose, for long periods. Funny enough, it picked up after it started lashing because I think that the Bose fans started jeering us for getting wet, and that kind of brought us into life. Yeah, yeah. We started Did singing. you see them in the rain coming down off that stand? Ah, oh, the people who were under the edge of that roof got destroyed. Per, per Ryan Legrew, I say, he's still drying out. <laughs> I was quite snug, snug where I was now. I was up about halfway, surrounded by so many bodies. I wasn't cold. All the bodies, yeah. I wasn't wet. It was actually fine. I was up with the highbrow types. You got your John, uh, John Cody, Bill Gleeson. Siobhan Shav- <laughs> yeah, was back. Bill Gleeson, that's a bit rich. Yeah. Throwing him in with the highbrows. I know, yeah. <laughs> but we'd uh, shit the bags, Talbot. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to call him now. Uh, shit the cacks, Talbot. Um, in front of our end in the fourth half, and he genuinely just isn't able to cope with the with the pressure of fans behind him. He shits the bags all the time. Considering how much he dishes it out, yeah, he can't. Take he it. cannot take it. And like you said on Twitter, Prof, ever since he said we've now had we've beaten him three times in a row and won the cup. Now won the cup. Yeah. Uh, did you see the cross that Kenny B put up 
uh, it was an Irish Times article from a rugby match and people were complaining about the tamest things such as like like I pay your fees yeah, and all crap this. like that and absolute like, crap bring them the day mount and listen to the stuff the abuse yeah. they your father works for my father <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so the, the pitching conditions uh, like it became a mud mat uh, a mud bat didn't it ah oh, it was ours it was a mud bat yeah Gary Neal came out in a shiny new jersey in the second half did he yeah I didn't even notice that good show um, yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy. Everybody soaked to the bone. In the second half subs, prof. Scales, we are forced into that one with Joey. It's shoulder again. Fucking crazy. And Watson Ferrugia. So, um, Scales making his competitive debut. So, um, the game itself, it's it's hard to it's hard to call these things because it's just a fucking battle, isn't it? It's like a slugfest, a boxing slugfest, you know? Yeah. Having said that, I thought we were on we top. Were, we were in control. Yeah, no, they didn't really look like they they did try and break. Most of the time, they broke down our left, our, our Lafferty and Farouja side. That's where they broke down with Twardek. Yeah. And um, there was a spell, I think, was at the start of the second half where yeah. we let them get back into it. Yeah, and it was looking a bit ominous. He's like Bambi on ice, that guy Twardek. He's just he's got pace. <laughs> that was about it. Have a stab at him. Actually, they signed him from Sligo. Mm-hmm. He was the only outfield player to play every Premier Division game last season. He's out impressive. of out of any club. That's impressive. But the Lions, uh, Andy Lyons, he received. I was I was surprised he got the yellow straight away because it was like, like five minutes in. Boom! It's for a diving. Yeah, diving. So it was great to see. So I mean, he only had himself to blame. Yeah, second yellow, bad tackle on Borky and Borky in agony. Oh, I really hope he's okay because mm. he was just in so much pain, rolling around like that. It was such a horrendous tackle. And Lyons, it's GBH at this stage. I mean, there could be a solicitor involved. Do you remember um, remember Ward's tackle on Green or that, that made like? Nearly no contact. Oh, stop. And Ward nearly rolling into the, the canal. <laughs> into the canal. <laughs> yeah. He was rolling around the, the bread oil in Tesco. Yeah, so tasted their own medicine. Yep. But uh, we've often talked about it, haven't we? Dundalk have mastered the dark arts. And Gary O'Neill straight Gary O'Neill, over. a few other players get rounding the referee saying he's on a yellow. Yep. That's a second bucket. It's part and parcel of the game now, whether you like it or not. Dark arts. Got to get, gotta get uh, smart and swift with them. But they were playing for a draw, prof. That's the thing. Yeah. Even in the first half, they were they were starting to play for it, and they were time wasting, so it was embarrassing. They were kicking us. There was a lot of yellow cards. That Mandrew was a bit of a temper. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He's a dirty, dirty <laughs> tackler, isn't he? He really has venom in his left boot. But, I mean, we first we, we laid siege to the goal in the last what twenty five minutes. Really, really did lay. Like at one stage, just before the goal, I think from about the eighty fifth minute onwards, it was just backs against the wall. Everybody just rattling off shots. In fairness, we passed them to death at times. That's what probably our problem was. But we, we just, it was all hands on deck. Let's go. Gung ho. And it worked in the end. Like, it was brilliant. But near the end, balls had a break. Right, had a shot across goal. Was that the header? Or was that the one? <laughs> they got a corner prop, right? I think you noticed this. <laughs> they got a corner and it was never a corner. And collectively, everyone looked around and goes, bollocks. It was a clear goal kick. And I'm just thinking, they are going to fucking score from this. They are going to <laughs> bury this. And it's going to be the end of it. But um, I they're, think they're they the got a chance as well. It could have been a header from Twardek. But um, other than that, we we just... It, it paid off for the way we played in the end. And we stuck to our principles like we always have done. We didn't go long. 
even considering the pitch itself, you don't want to really be dragged into a battle. And I was smart from from Bradzer. Don't get dragged into a 50-50 battle. Let's play them off the park, which in the conditions was a tough thing to do. And you have to say, listen, fair play, lads. It was fantastic stuff. Yeah, Breslin cleared one off the line for them mm-hmm. as well. Right, this was maybe a few minutes before our goal. <laughs> and uh, Long was gone mad at the fourth official when he showed the four minutes of, of added time. Ah, oh, he was pleading for the from yeah. about sixty minutes onwards. He was in the refs ear, and this is for you know for a fact he was trying to get the game called off, <laughs> trying to get the game called off. Oh, you love to see. Ah, oh, you just hook it up, veins bustling, <laughs> just bursting down my arms here. Hook it. You know, I, I'm often a pessimist when it comes to derbies. When it comes to games, I just have a nil nil written all over them. But you know what? The last ten minutes, I felt this last minute winner coming. I actually thought we were going to get it. Yeah, I was confident. It just there was too much going on, too much quality, and uh, step in ninety third minute, prof. All game, Aaron Green was in his ear, apparently, and Grace was as well. Grace was in Ward's ear every time there was a corner. <laughs> I could see him in his ear, like like a like a lover to a, another, just in his ear, like whispering, whispering into his ear. <laughs> but it wasn't uh, he he wasn't whispering like loving things I can only imagine what he was saying to him but every corner he was in Warrior's ear saying something I don't know what it was but then you had Green telling Talbot you're going to drop him buddy yeah. and he did but there yeah, cue, cue the celebrations right wait, wait, wait. describe the goal though <coughs> I mean, what's control excellent sublime absolutely amazing great work from McInerney in the lead up to it like these we've had a lot of really good goals against these lady and this was the lead up to it if Watts had scored would have been excellent but like I said, on the first touch pitch. completely took out. I'm not sure who it was. Took him out. Gone. On a shy pitch. He's disappeared. That guy conditions. just... Gone. He doesn't exist anymore, that guy. Yeah. He's gone. Completely horrendous pitch. Conditions, terrible. And he takes a touch like that. Mm. And has a great shot skidding along the ground. And what does Talbot do? Shit the cacks. Mm. Blows himself all over. Blows beans everywhere. Case of the slippers. Case of the slippers. And it's Aaron Green on his right foot. A composed Aaron Green Very, as well. Cue Joey O'Brien with the one arm Aaron Alan Shearer celebration. <laughs> McAniff skidding on his knees. Ah, you love to see it. Celebrating yeah. with the Rovers fans and the Jody. So yeah. let's remember that it was the Rovers fans and the Jody who were celebrating towards, not mm. the Bowls. Except for people who left early, they didn't yeah, see it. That's another thing as well. Yeah. Get out of the club. Pat Tutty, he, yeah. he, he didn't see it. He'd say he did, but he didn't. <laughs> Great picture of the goal. As green strikes, just the explosion of muck. Oh, explosion of muck. Yeah. And that kind of summed up the game yeah. itself. Like Anytime I see footage of the game, it's so soggy. It looks m- like 90s footage. Muck everywhere. Just muck. I just like, I'm like, am I on YouTube watching a game from 94 at the RDS? Or <laughs> oh, God. And the celebration of the players. Excellent. The mayhem, I did. Do you know what happened? I was on the very, very left. So Jaden was up and to the right. And I, all the gangs around, they give, you know, everybody around you. And when we scored, I just sprinted out into the car park for some reason and just doing laps just jumping around and then I looked down and I was like yes I ran straight down you probably had a great view of the celebrations oh it was deadly so that's when I was out in the car park I looked in and I goes fuck me get me in there ran straight in just hugging everyone you can get your hands on (laughs) giving them the fingers jumped up Jaden got Borky's uh, training top at the end as well Uh, it was just limbs everywhere limbs everywhere absolutely amazing John Cody turns to me and goes that's how you win leagues. That is how and, you win leagues. And he would but know. let's just, you that, know. That man would know how to win leagues. Yeah, it's, it was. It was it, it was a grinder, wasn't it? You grinded out. Winning a game that we probably would have drawn last year. Yeah, but... Um, as Mark Keating pointed out, the last time Aaron Green scored a late winner for Rovers, it was a very different story. Yeah, certainly Mark was. Mark Keating actually 
uh, or Green are actually running over the bark uh, in retaliation for, for his Let's see the cup final, yeah. yeah. Um, celebration with the players, Prof. Brilliant stuff again, brilliant scenes. Like I said, Jaden got Borky picked Jaden out of the crowd and gave him his training top, and he was absolutely delighted with life. Um, just brilliant scenes. Mm. And Brazzer, you normally get the old fist bump from Brazzer, but this this was like four or five. Oh, he was giving the socks, it was deadly. Great. Hey, I think we got the hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Great decision to play the game, never doubt. Uh, standout performances, Prof. Very, very hard to pick out. It was everybody played well. Like I thought, Lafferty was tough and gritty on the left. Pico Lopez mm. goes under the radar again. Some amazing tackles and brilliant performance. Grace, everybody across the board was fantastic. Jack was fucking phenomenal. Jack, they could not touch him. They could not touch him. No, They're still chasing him around. Keith Buckley is still in Daily Mount Park, <laughs> running around in circles looking for Jack Bourne, wondering where he is. They could not catch him. He was skating around. He was like an ice skater. Just, just. Just wonderful and graceful and just absolutely stunning performance from just imposing himself on the game. Nobody could get near him. They could not get the puck off. And like from where from that shite view and that stand, especially with the rain, sometimes it can be hard to pick out who's who, what player you're looking at. And then I would just see a player just sort of running around in circles, never get the ball away. And it's like right, Jackson the ball, obviously. I just think I knew David and did uh, Gary Shaw. Or sorry, Liam Scales. <laughs> Do you think so? Think there's a ref- think there's a bit I of swear a- to God, I tossed Shaw as he came back and came off the bench. Did you think there was a bit of a, a likeness there? Um, the height and the hair and the face. He he was he got skint. The first thing he did was get skint by Twardick and bit of a nervy first ten minutes, maybe. Very very composed after that. Yeah. Very gonna be an excellent player. Very very composed. Our type of defender. Composed, good footballer, technical. Mm. Can't wait to see more of him. Really, really good. And a baptism of fire as well. We, we spoke to a former UCD teammate of his, uh, what was it, a few months ago, who said, and I quote, he can't defend. Yeah. Fuck them. No, I, they were wrong, weren't I they? I think he can. I think he can, yeah. But uh, I'll show a few quick stats at you. The match stats really go in our favour. 18 shots to 6, 9 on target to 1. As for my own sort of stats, that was our first league win at Daily Mount since May 2017. The Trevor Clark Arrow. Remember that one? Yeah. And, um, uh, what else have you got? Any more stats? It's the first time since 1991 that Robert scored an injury time winner away to balls at we Daily Mount. We were talking about this straight after. When's the last yeah. time? 91. Yep. Wow. No wonder we couldn't think back. Um, and it's the first time since 1969 we began our league season with a win over Bowles. Wow. <laughs> Stadzilla. He's back. We'd met on opening day seven other times since then. Four draws, three losses. Unbelievable. I'm just going to ask, is this officially a jinx yet? Three wins in a row, girl? <sighs> let's not start that shit. Let fucking Bowles. <laughs> Bowles did that. Let's, yeah. this is, let's just, it's just another win to us, right? That's it. Having said that, though, if you go back and listen to the podcast in August, we actually said it, or we at least suggested it. When this turns, it's really going to turn. Yeah, it's going it's to snowball. We yeah. definitely said that. We didn't just we didn't think it would just be one win and then back and forth. I think there's a run coming here. This shit snowballed, man. Big yeah. time. Big time. But um the quote from Aaron Green afterwards, this was brilliant and he's very quiet, not on social media, he doesn't say much, and this he was well entitled to say it. He said the gaffer said follow in both ends. There were tough conditions and I said to James Talbot, you're gonna drop one and I'm gonna be able to tap it in. Ha <laughs> ha Just took it to my veins But yeah, yeah just the veins. Excuse me, uh, Tales from D-Sand here. Would you be ever so kind as to hook that to my veins? <laughs> just 
Thank please, you. please, every vein, my toes, my arms, everywhere. I'm gonna there, I'm gonna tap it in, and he did. Roy foot as well. As he does get hit, and we're gonna finish off with his quote because he does give us a bit of stick in the media, doesn't he? I'm delighted. Last minute of the game, no better feeling. There are type of goals. I've been wanting to score. It's nice to get that type of poacher's goal. So yeah. you have Green are right there, poaching in the box, slamming a pass, shit the bags, Talbot. This was the sort of goal we were waiting for for Green, wasn't it? To really cement his hero status. Mm. And we, we were talking about it in the chat uh, a week before the game. The kind of the, when he scores is kind of more important than how many he scores. For example, he missed three good chances at home to Dundalk, and we yeah. lost that one nil. Give me Green or scoring one of them over scoring a hat trick against Finn Harps in a 5 0 win. Yep, this is the type of goal. I think he's been a bit cryptic when he says this is the type of goal I want to score. I think he. There's an underlying comment there or meaning where he means these are the big goals he wants to score. Fair enough to tap in. It's great to get the poachers goal. I think he really means this is the big goal I want to score. This is a huge, important goal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's what he wants. See, Talbot came out with the 99 jersey. What was that about? It was for their 99th minute winner at Talbot a couple of years ago. That's what the reference was. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, he's a grown man. He's a grown man. <laughs> Feel the fall. Um, so like, <laughs> I love how he was one of the biggest culprits for time wasting and that contributed to the four minutes of added time which gave us our goal and speaking of veins and hooking them he ended up in the hospital in a protective boot and on crutches but uh, yeah. so maybe him and uh, Cornholio will make an Instagram post about that um, yeah, so on this week's episode of Things You Love to See, uh, pictures and videos of Bo's fans' pain. So it was excellent. There was a, some sort of video being filmed from there, and the limbs in the way end was amazing. Shows the goal, and then it cuts to us, and I see limbs and bodies everywhere, and celebrations, and the pain, and hmm. the just beautiful, beautiful pain on Bo's fans' uh, faces. They were sick. And they've seriously reached new levels of hipster now, Gary. The Honky Tonk Man Spotted in the What Jody. was that about? Honky Tonk Man Apparently he was <laughs> Playing music In the middle of everything So he's in, He's there going Jingle Jingle The whole triangle And like There's a fucking match on here mate Fuck off Fucking no. Honky Tonk Man <laughs> and I have to mention He was like a, a Like a deranged Christy Moore Wasn't he? Same <laughs> Once again Nothing Nothing a little more Singing there's only one Stephen Bradley at the Bowes fans. How many times did we have to stand in that Des Kelly end, listen to them, sing that at us yep. when we were under serious pressure? Take, we take we took it on the chin and now we're singing it back to them with Brad's are giving us the right fist pumps the to giving yeah. out that. And Bowes it's happened again. Yeah. Build that one up. Again. It's fantastic stuff. Fantastic. And it's just great to see. But we're gonna move on to something a little bit more serious now, prof. And you have the uber leftist socialist bows, refugees welcome with the sectarian abuse of Alamanis and the monkey gestures towards some of our fans. So this is what something that they're probably not going to address, but it's 100% there. There's video footage and there's audio of monkey gestures towards our fans mm-hmm. and sectarian bu- abuse towards Alamanis. And this is from a club who claim to be um, inclusive pillars of the community. So this is something that they would probably sweep under the rug like they have done with everything else, with the fact that they've employed a sexual predator. Um, they knew about abuse within their club. And, I mean, 
they accommodated the British years ago as well during really going back now this is going back if we want to talk about all this stuff that's what we're talking about this, it this is a bit rich alright calling our goalkeeper an orange so and so given their how that their club was founded it is it's crazy I mean this this type of thing that they're going to sweep underneath the rug again mm. uh, still makes me laugh I remember if it was us and it happened within our fan base which I hope it never does I'd, I'd have to, we'd have to address it and say we condemn this type of thing I do see their own fans giving out about it in fairness but uh, I remember Farky ranted about this a few years ago. Why are balls? Is this just what balls do now? They take up causes. Is that like, <laughs> you sound like Farky? They're just like, why do they have causes now? And like, we're so we're a football club. Yeah, we've got more trophies to be winning, and they've got causes. Uh, well, listen, that's it's just a different model, you know. We we're we're uh, you know big private corporate sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything you just said, Gary, it does make a mockery of their uh, their causes and their, we are an ex- inclusive club, the People's Club. Yep, People's Club, yeah. But, uh, yeah, great start season with a win anyway, but it was, uh, <coughs> my feet are still green. <laughs> Would you <laughs> like to explain to the listeners why your feet are green? I got a, new, I got a pair of Blackburns, right? Nice pair of Adidas. Thought I'd give them the debut, you know, bowls away. <laughs> Looking, think I'm looking cool. Come home and the feet are literally green. I can't get the dye off. I'm scrubbing them. I'm feet, I'm green feet. I've come to terms with it now. I have green feet. It's all right. I've come to terms with. But um, didn't want normal feet anyway. <laughs> didn't want normal feet. Yeah. So it would have sounded insane a few years ago. Like if you had said this to me a couple of years ago, I would have just walked away from you and called you a moron. But being two points behind on Doc. Even after the first game now, would would not have been insignificant. That's how tight it is between us that everything matters, even now. Yeah. Um everything matters, yeah. It does. Every every this is gonna be a battle. This is gonna be a slugfest. I think that that, that win in itself was the equivalent of a twelfth round knockout, wasn't it? A slobber knocker, like it was really was. It was fantastic stuff to say. It's just brilliant. And you say great start to the season, but we're pretty much carrying on from where we left off. Like this train has been gone since August. Yeah, that home win over balls. I think so. Yeah, and it's um, where we're back to back to Tala with a bang with Cork on on Friday. So, do you, do you think it's nice to have the sort of the derby distraction over with? Oh, done, gone. Three points. Won't have it for a while now. Next we have my home as well. So yeah. it's. It's a great way to start the season. Eight more games without the fuss. Great way to start the season. Get Just get it out of the way. 90 a minute. Just brilliant. Great. Things you love to see. But uh, the after a prof, I think you hit the points. I hit the bleeding horse. After I went on with scrubby green fee. Um, how was the points? Good crack, yeah. Uh, Tony Cousins was there. Our new uh, under-19s manager. Cousin, and, great uh, guy. I was surprised he actually called me prof. How could he not know you? No, I, mean, I knew he'd recognise me from the show, but didn't he? Keep <laughs> Maybe he just doesn't know your name. <laughs> it's like a guy in work, like like yeah. ten years. He was calling me Keith. And he was le- <laughs> he was leaving. Like he was like Keith's been great knowing you. I was like, my name's Gary. <laughs> Have to tell you, I leave. I'm never gonna see you again. My name's Gary. Okay, <laughs> see you later. Because <laughs> uh, I couldn't, still couldn't believe that that show we did with uh, Mark Kenny was four and a half hours long. Uh-huh. He said he turned his phone off. And then he only turned on when he left. He was like, I couldn't believe it. It was <laughs> yeah. there six hours. Great crack. We need another one of them. We need another one. It's been a while since we uh, have an L session. And you should have heard Mick McCarthy telling the story about him and Cuzzo that morning accidentally ended up in the Bowes Cafe 
Oh, and you know the one I'm talking about. Smash, smash. They, they accidentally ended up there because it was recommended them. And it was only when they looked at the walls and they saw the balls pictures. Like, oh, holy jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know the storyteller he is. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, great night in the hard by everybody. Like, everyone was out. Everyone was out celebrating. It was great. Hoops all over the place. So, fantastic stuff. Um, bit of a, considering what happened after it, there was a bit of a ruckus at the Fisborough house and a lot of elves and calling it 98 FM giving out saying their kids can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, like little Johnny couldn't sleep thinking about the big bad Bowls and Rovers fans. Maybe he's not cut out for League of Ireland. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think he's real. I think that was made up. Like Mark Keaton said on his Instagram post little Johnny doesn't exist. <laughs> little Johnny's not at home rolling around in his bed fretting over balls and rovers fans like yeah. it's made up well whatever about uh, casuals fighting in the street Gary how do you know what it is though let's if, if we're gonna be a little bit you know like how do we know how do we know that was rovers and balls realistically like well yeah they're not wearing jerseys and it's not inside the ground how do we know it's rovers and balls they could have been fucking Gonzaga College and Black Rock College fighting Every, each other everyone's just gonna assume aren't they yeah. but whatever about that one girl on Twitter Put up a video of the march beforehand. Oh, we were terrifying, weren't we? We had Rovers fans walking, some with their children, walking in the street, and she called it extremely hostile. We were terrifying, Prof. We were absolutely terrorising the city. We were singing songs. Mm. We were marching in unity. We even stopped at the stoplights. We even stopped and pressed the button to wait for the cars across the road. We were terrifying, I'm telling she you. She thought it was hostile. <laughs> You, you okay, hon? <laughs> PM me. Cap, capital letter U. P, uh, PM okay, me. hon. <laughs> um, the, so, uh, yeah. What else do we say about it? Like? What else can we say about that? Except just sit here and laugh. How wrong it went for them was unbelievable. Absolute PR disaster. Couldn't write it. In every sense of the word. And hopefully uh, it goes viral now about the, the racist chanting and the sectarian abuse because... It's not. It's not on. It's not welcoming football or any walk of life. So we'll move on to something that I'm not sure if happened before, Prof. I don't think you have stats on this, but we five one nil wins in the Premier Division. Waterford won away to Pats. Shelbourne won away to Cork. Home wins for Harps and Sligo and Dundalk over Derry. Another late one for him. and of course, Prof got his fantastic prediction right once again of a, mm-hmm. a team, a promoted team getting a scalp and a Lukey Bourne, friend of the show, burying a header off the bar. And then uh, Kilduff nodding at home. So Lukey still got tissue rammed up his nose from the nosebleed that he has from heading up that that far up the pitch. Once again, a great prediction by me that I put absolutely no money on. Well, so yeah, I, we never do. So I did not benefit from Absolute bottlers. As you say, 5 nil win, or 5-1-0 wins. And all of them were nil-nil at half time. Mm, oh, that's another great shout. So nil all first half, one yeah. in the second half, yeah. The defending for the Pascal Gare. Holy jeez. The culprit was... Surprisingly, uh, Robbie Benson, like, what? What's going on there? Shocking doesn't even begin to cover. Terrible, this. terrible, absolutely shocking. Um, See the video of the shells fan giving a best man speech. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. I like that. Killer scars. Yeah, oh, she was mortified. Poor bride was mortified. <laughs> yeah, it's something. It's something like it was good. It was cool to see. Funny enough, Gary Kilduff scored a goal for Rovers right in the middle of your wedding as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was no, a three-two win in Galway in 2011. I think I remember you. Tell, I think I remember telling you to keep me updated. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, all one new wins and uh, back to normal service now on Friday when we have Cork at home. So looking forward to that to the South Stand and happy new season once again. We'll move on to 20-year-old Dean Dillon. This is a strange one. How did this come about? I thought he went to America, but he's now playing Gibraltar with Keen Collins. That's another ex-hoop at the same age. So um, it's a weird that's, one, isn't it? That's strange, yeah. It is. It's, 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 uh, how do you end up in Gibraltar? And there, I think he scored a hat-trick on the weekend as well. Probably the same much, is it? Yeah, so our first home game. <laughs> first home game of the season is on Friday and we've passed 2,400 tickets, season tickets, so that's fantastic stuff. Like, t- mm. It hit 2,500 now and did you see the new range of blackout gear? It was a biz. It's the business. It is absolutely deadly. So really, really looking forward to that. Re- I definitely have to get the gilet. I think it's, a, it's pronounced. Ray Whelan would love that pronunciation. Is it gilet? So we're or the gilet. <laughs> We were celebrating hitting the 2400 mark and the, the blackout gear. But more importantly, it was Joey O'Brien's birthday. Mm. Happy birthday, Monday. Joey. Yeah. The king of Crumlin. The the king of cool. Everything. <laughs> Just what a guy. What a guy. And uh, I was reading uh, West Ham. West Ham uh, wished him happy birthday online. Yeah. And fantastic comments from West Ham. They said they take him now rather than any of the fullbacks that they have. So it was really, really, yeah. really interesting to read all that. So he's a gent everywhere he goes. He's fondly remembered, I'm sure, yeah. at Bolton, West Ham. So, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> really look forward to this. Ultras will have the usual merch on sale as well. Stickers, a couple of T-shirts, so catch them on Block X. Um, what do we have? We have Neil Matney coming up. We have a Cork fan. Prof, you like to procure these cool and random fans from other clubs. So that's something we'll be doing again. <clears throat> we'll be including one or two more in the, in the season. Come well, the season. This, this is something we do... Two or three times a season where we interview an opposition fan. And this one coming up, it is a long one now. I will warn you. It is a good one because we can identify with it. Yeah. There's a lot of... And you can tell how how much she genuinely loves our club. How much she's put into it. And it is a good one. So do not not be put off with the length. Um, It's a a good show. It really, really is a good interview. And listen, she has lots of passion for our club. And as much as we hate Cork... Give it a listen. She is, uh, she's great. So here she is. Here's Neve. Okay, so we're joined by Neve O'Mahony, a former secretary and board member at Cork City. You might also be familiar with her work for SD Europe and ISN, the Irish Supporters Network. So thanks for coming in to us, Neve. No problem. It's great to be here. Uh, so first of all, tell us how it all began, your earliest memories of supporting City. Oh, that, that goes back a while. Um, my first experience of football is probably where it starts, which was David O'Leary's goal in 1990. And like, just got caught up in the total excitement of what what is this like, you know? And uh, uh, my dad is actually from Turner's Cross, and he's from Derry Nan Road, uh, so we don't get much closer to that. And after we saw that game, dad was like, you know, they play every week. Uh, and so, granddad used to take myself and my younger brother down, and his whole thinking was stand in front of the shed because even if the football was crap you could have a bit of crack and listen to the banter and stuff. And to be fair, those first few years were, were bleak, to say the least. My first memory, the first games we went to, we didn't see a goal for five games, and it was a penalty <laughs> scored by Kelvin Flanagan, um, which is mad because two or three years ago, I went buying a new car, and he was my salesman, and he <laughs> went to introduce himself, and I was like, you're the first person I ever saw score a goal for Cork City. So I think he probably thought he definitely had a sale at that point. Um, but we went down there when we were small, you know, and... Um, because Granny and Grandad's house was literally up the road, Mum used to come in and stay with my Granny, and then eventually we started going down on our own when we were old enough. 
Um, I remember going to one game in my school uniform because it was a cup replay versus UCD <laughs> and I got a half day on a Wednesday and went to the game on my own. Um, and uh, years and years, it was only recently someone went back going, I remember one time seeing a girl in her school uniform and I was like, that was probably me. <laughs> that was you. Yeah, because uh, that was the first time we ever saw Clive Delaney run onto a pitch and we were all like, ah, like, you know, he's so tall, he was so different. But um, yeah, it was very much the local connection and Grandad would have been mad into Cork soccer in general and support to the teams before it and of course that neck of the woods it's always the south side of the city my mum is actually from the north side of the city so dad and mum settled over there so we were out in GAA country like we had no right to be trekking across to Cork City but it's like many League of Ireland clubs once you get the bug you never stop then and it just became part of our Sunday routine which it was for many many years and then of course we switched to Friday nights but that was kind of I'd say I was even living in Dublin at that point um, but yeah, it was the locality really, and it was just the World Cup, and it kind of all took off from there. So uh, bad start to the season, unfortunately for you guys. On Friday, gone down one 0 at home to Shelburne. Bad start. I'm not so sure. Like I saw. This sounds awful negative, but like when in 2017, when we knew we were going to win the league, we were already thinking about we were winning games that year. We shouldn't have won. Like we were escaping. We were doing your your typical. Um, champions run of like late goals, winning matches you shouldn't win, not being given you know d- decisions going for you, and we had already discussed in twenty seventeen myself and my brother about how horrible twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen was likely to be because the league is so competitive and we knew Dundalk are as capable as they are and we knew Rovers would be stronger eventually as well, mm. um but I don't think anyone thought twenty nineteen was going to be as bad as it was and towards the end it was just it was just you know, you were going because it was a routine and you were watching some awful football and even more from our perspective. And I don't think it's true, but when you were sitting in the stands, it kind of looked like a lot of people weren't bothered. And that that's tougher to watch than having a mm. poor team in terms of talent. Um, and we've seen, we've seen over the years Cork City not being competitive, but we've always been competitive at home and we've always stood up at home, always put a fight up at home. So when Neil, Neil Fenn came in... He's obviously a very different style of manager, and I would I would say quite openly anyway. I'm a, a massive fan of what John Caulfield did. He did exceptionally well for us. He outperformed pretty much. He outperformed his budget every single season we had him, aside from 2019, which of course he didn't finish. But when Neil came in, I suppose he gave the young guys a chance. And we have some incredible talent in the underage section at Cork City. And for me, that's why I've always been involved in the club. I love seeing the young guys come true. And then you know you're getting old when you see the young guys that come true and then they're retiring and you're kind of like still there. <laughs> you're like, okay, fair enough. Um, but like the end of last season, I suppose, was just such a thank God it's over. We even flirted, I suppose, quite rightly with relegation at one point and had some worries there. And we weren't good. Like we just we weren't good. So coming into this year, I think it's fair to say expectations are are low. I hadn't seen any of the preseason games and one or two people were like, actually, we don't look we don't look too bad. But the reality is. Like the game Friday night, we had three starters from last season started the game. So Gerald Morrissey, who's mm. an incredibly talented fella, like very well capped. He's been a Forest pretty much. He's been a Cork City as long as Forest have, bar one season. And then you, the, your next two were Darrell O'Connor and Ronan Hurley, two really young guys, but really young guys. And sure, Ronan only kind of made a, a an 
like an impressive breakthrough, but he wasn't a regular last season by any means. And Dara, Dara's just great. Like he's a kind of our flair. And we had all of these new other players and you were literally, everybody bought the programme and sold out because you're looking at the programme going, oh, okay, that's him and where did he come from? And um, Neil had a really tough task. He had to just put it all together. So when I think of Friday night, I think I saw enough about me convinced that they haven't played enough together to really gel yet, which means there's an improvement there. Um, we look dangerous from set pieces. Olawu might have scored. And even when you see the replay, you think it. I think we were caught in the hop. I don't think we deserve to lose, but I would say that. And it was a familiar face who uh, got the goal for Shells. <laughs> Kieran Kilduff actually had a stat there in the, in the Daily Mirror that the last time Cork and Shells had met, Kieran Kilduff scored four goals for you in yeah. a 5-3 win in 2013. Yeah, he enjoyed it as well because he scored it down the shed end and he, he enjoyed that moment. I mean, when Kilduff was with us, he was playing up front with Danny Marcy and the two of them were just electric for half a season. Um, I think when we heard he was coming back to the league, I think a lot of us would have fancied that Kilduff would have signed for, for us because like, he did seem to enjoy his time down with us. Um, that Shells team, I suppose, and, and Carl Shepherd got a, an interesting return. And funny enough, Carl Shepard got more attention than Kilduff because people still remember him for the half season where he was great. Um, it's kind of funny, like the when like it, for us it goes back to twenty eleven. I think that's still my favorite moment as a city fan was getting promoted in the fashion we did at the end of that game in Tog mm. Park. Um, I think every Shells fan I know hates it when I bring that up because like if you looked at how the clubs have gone since it really is kind of a parting of, of ways. We both got promoted but there was only one club being talked about the seasons after, you know. And it's been a it's been a really difficult time for Shelburne. You know, they've kind of I think they're starting to get back to a sense of themselves. But once we got promoted, my younger brother turned around to me and he was like, We're back in the league where we hate people. Like and hate is a strong word, but I use it in the fan the sense of a football fan. Like you have a rivalry with clubs. Like going out to Salt Hill Devon for the beautiful setup that they are and, and the experience of standing around a pitch and like me barely seeing over the fence. Um like that's all grand and it was nice to go down to Wexford FC. That's a fantastic setup down there, the people are brilliant, but you really want to be where you're back and you've a club with rivalries and Shells is that team. So like the the result wasn't a great one. Kilduff scoring against us was a bit of a uh, but actually the worst bit was losing to Shelburne because like of our chance and the history and it goes back so long and we've taken leagues off each other and there's just such a rivalry but that's I suppose part and parcel of the game um, and we've got a really two tough games mm. coming up now away to Rovers and then the following Monday away to Dundalk um, so I think I think most people will be kind of looking to see some improvement maybe in how the team performed together but I mean the odds are against going to those clubs at the better times at the best of times but never mind when you've kind of probably had a disrupted pre-season it's fair to say we've had two of the games called off and and pitches and switching around and stuff so I genuinely think we will get better and I see enough in the guys that did come in to say that we potentially can cause a couple of upsets throughout the year Um, I definitely don't uh, subscribe to Alan Cawley's we're going to get relegated uh, thinking but <laughs> I saw Dave um, Donnelly as well getting stick for putting you last in yeah. his uh, predictions yeah. <laughs> well you know what I think Cork people love it when we get written off and love it when people think we're the underdogs and kind of love it as well when people hate us because like we are better than everybody else and we are the biggest club in the league so you know <laughs> just uh, no comment just, just, just to stick with uh, Kieran Kilduff for a moment do you remember what Trevor Crowley said when he went on loan to use in the 2013 season when we were struggling ourselves mm. to find the net and he famously said Kieran will score goals yeah and he was right he scored goals for you and not Rovers 
Yeah. So that still still kind of bugs Rawers fans, that quote. But K- Kildoff was great, but it was the partnership with Danny Morrissey that made him electric. And Danny, like I was on the board in 2011 when we played Derry City in the League Cup final. And we down in Cork and Derry beat us on a penalty. And Danny came on, he was like 16, 17, I think maybe 17. And we all kind of sat up and went, who is this kid? Because he had that incredible electric pace but as we know like his his career after that was hampered with injury but it was it was the combination of them both Kilduff was he was cute in the Cork sense of cute like he knew how to handle himself and he knew how to cause trouble um but Morrissey then with the pace around him they caused havoc and it was just a really unusual combination and I think we were both gutted we did hang on to Danny uh at, like for the following season but sure he the two of them did so well that it was inevitable that he was going to Kilduff was going to go back to Dublin and Danny mm. was going to go look across to England. So, uh, like, it was kind of like that half season that Sean Maguire had. They were just electric, the two of them. Brilliant, like. And that's what you need. And we see it across the league, really. There's there's just, um, there's a real shortage of just goal scorers of the traditional old John Caulfield type that didn't score from 30 yards out but was like in them stuck in the middle of everything and, and just getting it out and well, no, sure we're still yeah. looking ourselves for the next Gary Twig I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's out there but. they're not and I, I think it's mad the way football fans are like we need to get a striker and you're like lads everyone needs a striker and strikers don't grow on trees and usually the good ones are long gone you know so mm. um, it'll be interesting now to mm. see how, how the new fellas come in get mm. on you can see uh, quite a large book collection here behind you. Uh, three of them written by Neil Horgan, who's documented yes. the rise of Cork City, starting all the way from those off-the-field uh, difficulties the club faced in 2008 and 2009. And uh, that's how Forrest came about, and the city supporters took over the club, yourself included. Yeah. So I um, I joined Forrest at the beginning but I was living in Dublin. So like for me, it was actually John O'Sullivan and Sonia Neal coming into, as we term ourselves, the exiles up here in Dublin, into one of the pubs in Drumcondra. So I'm going to say the one next to Fagan's. I don't really even remember what that one's called. And coming in and explaining the idea of forests. And I just I just thought it was amazing. And if, like, if I had my way in the world anyway, I would be inclined to be a trade unionist, leftist, society driven, we need to look after each other. So the idea of a supporters trust fell right into to, to my usual way of thinking anyway. And it's kind of a family way, to be honest. It's kind of like look after each other sort of a um, mentality in our house. Um, and the idea that a collective could come together and do something positive and get involved in that, I was like, yeah, absolutely great. So um, it was Sonia and John and that first board, the likes of Jonathan O'Brien, who went on to be elected to the Dáil. Kevin Lynch was chairman, all of these really, really talented people. And in my head, I'm already thinking I'm going to leave out the people that were very important. But they had started to put together like how the trust should run and how it should start to interact with the football club spoke to Brian Lennox and we would always have the highest regard and still do he is a forest member to these days he had run the club very sensibly for a football club owner and especially when you compare him to others uh, around the league and and further afield Um, and our pure thinking at the time was well what comes after Brian Lennox and the answer was we weren't very clear so one of the key drivers in the whole idea and the establishment of the rules and and of forests were two gentlemen Sean O'Connell who is still very active and very um 
kind of progressive and he's thinking today and someone uh, by the name of Pat Shine who sadly passed away about two years ago at this mm. point and they had just had a fundamental belief that supporters were far more important than just the people who pay in the gate and on the terraces so AFC Wimbledon were were uh, an inspiration the the kind of the the early days of supporters direct and what they were doing there um, and the idea of the trust, like our early meetings were all about, will we buy gym gear for the club and only if we own it and we lease it to them for a euro. So we wanted to try and develop the idea of training facilities and all while supporting the club. It was never about a takeover and it was never about being hostile towards the football club either. And I think that's the real important um, mix up and messages that people get about Forest. So Forest existed for two years before anything mm. that they ever had the chance. But I suppose there was a lot of humming and hawing and it actually launched the same week that the Arcadia had come in. They promised a 30 million euro stadium. They promised lots of money. They promised, you know, the best of facilities and all the sort of things that you hear new owners mm. promise football clubs and particularly supporters. Um, but the same week that the trust launched, the club went into examinership and I was working here in Dublin and I remember going into my office and a Pats fan spinning around kind of more or less going, aha, like, isn't this hilarious? And I was like, no, no, it really isn't like, and it's it's um you know we went through a couple of years of turmoil after that like but there was one day in particular in the high court where like the court said like we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wind this up I'm gonna have to think about it and come back after lunch so we all thought the club was gone and Mm. um that moment I will never forget because it's this inner devastation like it's it's when you realize that the club is more than going to summer on a Friday night it's your friends and it's your colleagues and it's the people you have nothing in common with except that you support the same football club it's the person walking down the street when they're wearing a crest that you're just you know nodding at and League of Ireland fans are pretty funny anyway because they'll always like nod at someone else as well from another club you know especially if you're overseas you're kind of like I know your pain (laughs) Um, but it was it was intensely um, stressful I suppose that first board that was there put a huge amount of effort into gaining a license. They knew um, that the the ownership, and we don't even name them anymore. Like you know, just we write them out of history. I think it's the best way to do it. But I suppose it was it was pretty obvious that the person who actually brought the club out of examinership was not capable of running a football club. And what is incredibly interesting is that there's this notion in the world of football that as long as you're a business person, no matter if you're successful or failure, that you're in a better position to run a business than a collective group of people with massive skills and a you know a really deep resource of of mm. collective experiences and and skill sets. Um, and that was something that followed right through when I was working for SD Europe later you know I remember sitting in a room with a a group of Belgian supporters who found out that they literally lost their club while I was right there that it was gone they hadn't got a license and I just went guys you just need to just stop now and you need to like you just need to take a moment to just literally grieve and I'm going to let you to and I'm going to go leave you for a little while and you need to just be together because we had planned and all the exiles had planned to get together in a pub in Dublin when we knew the club was gone because you just needed that grieving process if it was going now luckily that club didn't go our club didn't go out of business at the time and we were given the chance as a supporters trust to take it on but to say that nobody wanted us to do it to say that we didn't expect it of ourselves either was really really important we had a meeting where we were going to so Forrest had managed to fundraise about six figures at one point sitting in a bank account and we were going to take a minority stakeholder along with two business people to try and take over the the entity that was clearly laden, laden with debt, no real chance of survival, would need a complete restructure. 
And it was one of the guys that later went on to the board, said his wife's kind of went, so you're going to hand all your money over to uh, for a, a business that's absolutely crippled, but you're going to do it because it's an emotional thing. <laughs> and you're kind of, when you put it like that, it sounds really, really, um, really stupid, but you that's what you do when you're a football fan. And it was only when that old entity did not receive a license that Forrest, who had been given a license, were able to step in. And the the guys had nine days to set the whole thing up. So nine days to get a manager, training ground, squad, staff, jerseys, kits, you know, actually be ready to take a bus full of people to Derry. Um, and that one all draw in Derry, I think, was one of the greatest nights of our lives because we were just happy to be there. You you can't you can't really describe the joy of just being happy to be there this anymore in football. Um, then I suppose I moved back to Cork at that point and joined the board that first season, and it was it was insane. It was worrying about whether we could pay the bills next week. You know, not knowing what was going on one way to the to the next. And anyone who's involved in football will tell you football goes into a routine during the season. And support is the same. Like it's Friday nights, and and it's the same with the um, with the off season stuff. Once you're in the season, it kind of picks up. It has a life of its own. You know, you have the mid season break, and you have the away trips, and you have the European trips when you're lucky enough. Um, and we kind of fell. We made it to the end of 2010, and that was the first time then we could actually start planning in a real way for 2011 there was no pre-season in 2010 there was no training I think the, the, the lads with Tommy Dunn trained twice before they went to Derry and like Derry you know Derry's tough at, at the best of times you know um, so like it's a mad story which is why myself and uh, a couple of others are trying to document it and trying to meet everyone that was critical in that point um, and I've left out loads of people so many people contributed to that kind of that era of the nine days and the build up to it but the critical point is if you get a group of people together and they have a collective goal anything is possible and that first year in 2010 even 2011 it was you can't do this you're only supporters like you're only supporters and the inspiration close hand to us was Shamrock Rovers because we saw they'd done it um, and you know we had support from I suppose UK clubs maybe supporters direct that was kind of the start of it and it was only then you could see that this was happening around Europe and I've been lucky enough to to travel to Spain and see a really a cool grassroots movement of supporter owned clubs build there one of them two or three weeks ago was playing Real Madrid in the in the Spanish Cup and hosted it at their own ground, did things their own way and just had this really strong identity. And I think, you know, for me personally, when I look at football and I see things like financial fair play, what's going on with Manchester City, what's going on with, you know, I suppose countries owning football clubs, that's not football, like it never has been. Um, football is going down to your local park, not your local park, your local ground, knowing people the whole way in, you know, having your seat in your spot and actually, yes, we might win the league this year, but actually we'll have a chance next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. Um, and I've often said it and I'll say it again. Supporters are the most ambitious owners that a, a football club can have because they want everything. They want great jerseys. They want a home ground. They want a great atmosphere. They want people in the ground. They want kids in the ground. They want women in the ground. They want a women's section. They want an underage section. They want it all. Whereas we see these private owners and they have no connection to the club. They have mm. no connection to the, the locality. They're looking at, can I make money? How can I make money? What's in this for me? Um, and that's not the type of owners we want for our football clubs. Well, you compared us to you compared Cork to uh, Shamrock Rovers uh, fan ownership model. There's obvi- obvious parallels there. It was the same for Rovers in 2005 when it was nothing but court dates and making the headlines for all the wrong reasons. But then six years later, we're in the Europa League group stages. And as you said, back in 2010, 
you're just trying to arrange a pre-season friendly a, a league and cup double seems uh, really far away so both clubs have come a long way and they did it by volunteers and genuine supporters who mm. used their skills and expertise available to run their own football club yeah um, and it seems it, it seems really simple that you know you have a supporter base but inside in that supporter base the caliber of people that you have and the experience that you have in those supporter bases are is incredible and i think when something is owned by a private entity you will always struggle with volunteers but when it is a not-for-profit and when you know that like my effort is actually going in to keep this thing on the road it is much easier to bring volunteers involved in that and to go back to that that um that Belgian football club because it's a really good example it's uh, Lirsa so they still exist the kind of shell of of this kind of entity it's owned by somebody from Egypt he owns the ground and somehow they managed to have it that if the football club went out of business all of its assets would revert to a company that actually was back to the owner so even if he lost the football club he was going to end up with the property and the minute you hear that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff going on you're like oh that's not good and what has happened there since I was there to attend a public meeting because the scepticism about kind of a group of people doing anything in, in Belgium is quite high and particularly football supporters. It's just not in their culture the way we have it here in Ireland that volunteers are involved in a club. So if you think of the GAA, if you think of the local rugby clubs, you think of the local football clubs around the country, we actually know that you have to give your five euro at Christmas draw time like, and you have to go to the table quiz and you're supposed to wash the jerseys. We kind of have this thing that we're naturally involved in our sporting clubs. Um, that's not in other countries and that's something that really does stand to us. Um, but um, this group in particular had they had this massive public meeting and I stood up and I was trying to say like if you what do you need to run a football club you need someone who knows about money you have that person in this room there's 300 people in this room you have someone who's going to be strong on finance there was coaches in the room players in the room marketing people in the room there was journalists in the room and then you know they were kind of like oh yeah you're, you're right like we actually have it all here and it was actually one of their former players came up to him at the end and he went, I never thought of that. I never thought of the fact you have the expertise in the supporter base. And you're like, we're not suggesting we reinvent the wheel. This is the way football clubs were always run until about 20, 30 years ago when money got involved. And I think that's where the League of Ireland stands out for people. And that's why you see more and more football tourists coming to the League of Ireland because you you stand in the stand. It's authentic. There's very little segregation. Now, I know there is segregation, but in terms of, um, you know, the when you consider some of the, the, the leagues that are around the place, there's very little crowd trouble. Now, facilities are shocking, generally speaking. And I say that as a woman who just doesn't bring girlfriends to most grounds because you're just like, you just can't because... You, you know it's it's horrific enough to experience yourself when you're when you're used to it but we can't forget what we do have here and we have we have a league that's exceptionally um it's sexually it's exceptionally like social and their connections you know someone in every football club you can have the crack you know you can sit in stands next to people um and you know someone said to me but that's very parochial and i said it's not it's actually just the league in itself we have to be very proud of what it is and that's what comes back to if you think about it we have a 10 team premier division at the moment five of those clubs have some sort of a collective community cooperative member ownership structure that's half of the clubs in the top tier and you don't see that anywhere else 
except where there's legislation. So there's legislation in Germany for 50 plus one. There's legislation in Sweden, Norway, some of Austria, I think, as well, um, for 50 plus one. We know that Barcelona, Real and two other clubs in the Spanish top division are community entities. And yet we have it naturally because it works. And, you know, last year we saw Cove Ramblers become a cooperative Wexford FC have started a supporters trust and people outside of Ireland are like what are you doing that this is you know this is okay and I put it down to two things really we have the inclination to get involved with a supporting club as we said before but plus the 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 I suppose the sustainability of the league is in such question that we don't have these sugar daddies thinking, oh, I'm going to make a quick buck there out of this club because it's just not going to happen. Now, the latter is kind of a negative, but because we can change that and grow. I mean, we can change the league. I'm very positive about that. And we are starting to see important change, but we need to retain that community element because if you look at Bohemians are doing, you're looking at some of the work Rovers are doing. Sligo Rovers are the one everyone are talking about at the moment, fundraising nearly half a million euros to keep a club. Yeah. And you go to Sligo, it's a football town like, it's all about Sligo Rovers. You come down to Cork City, and no matter what the time of the year, there's kids running around with city gear. And so many people comment on that, that there's a visible presence for the league around for the League of Ireland around the city we have positives to build on we need to start talking about it a bit more and it will be absolutely fantastic when the National Association and I use the words when because it's starting to change when they get fully behind the league and actually look at its potential as opposed to the cost lines So putting back on my Roberts tinted glasses they never come off to be honest but give us your favourite ever Cork and Roberts game memory and then give us your worst memory. And hope you pick something that's on YouTube that we can use. <laughs> Probably the first one isn't because I don't remember the year, but we were 2 0 down at Rovers at Turnus Cross and we won 3 2. So we're 2 0 down at half time and we won 3 2. So, like, when I was small, and like I was saying, like, we, um, we went through a couple of years where we really struggled. Rovers coming to town was always a big one. Cork and Rovers. Even Tommy Dunn used to go on about it for years as well, like the whole Cork and Rovers thing. Um, but Rovers always bought a crowd. And that's the key thing. like, Because uh, the minute you had a crowd, you had Rovers in town and you were just like, uh, you know, this this is the, the atmosphere that you have. Um, but we were 2-0 down at half time and awful. I'm pretty sure it was probably Dave Barry's time because it is that long ago, maybe a little bit later. And we won the game 3-2. And needless to say, like when that third goal went in, you just went bananas. Like it was just, it was just mad. My other one that I probably isn't so pleasant uh, for you guys is in 2017 where we beat you really early on in the season. And it was Patrick's Day, I think, because... The exiles, the Cork City exiles. Oh, had... was this the Sean Maguire penalty? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the legitimate penalty that Sean yeah. Maguire because uh, he was fouled. <laughs> the simulation you you're referring to. <laughs> but the Cork City exiles actually bought a table in the hospitality area beforehand because Dan Murray was the match speaker. So we were like, oh great, like because we love Dan Murray. He's 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 still in Cork and he's still involved and he's like he's the pre-match speaker we'd have access to the bar you know it'd be a very nice day and we'd have a few drinks and dinner and it'd be great crack and that's what I mean about like how many clubs where you can you go into the home hospitality and just have crack with people like it was just so Dan was there and of course uh, Con Murphy asked him uh, so what's your favourite football club that you've been at and he kind of sheepishly kind of went over Cork City like in the middle of the Rovers crowd but then the result we absolutely knew we had robbed you 
we knew it. So you were kind of inside afterwards and you were just like strutting around because people were disgusted. And like, that's the beauty of football, isn't it? We didn't rub it into anyone. We didn't say anything. Just your mere presence was a reminder of how unfair it was. Um, but that's also a real sign that season that we were going to do something. Because when you win games like that, when when you were probably under the cash a lot and you kind of just robbed it. like um, In terms of, of tougher days, you know, I suppose the... the um, the last game that we played Rovers last season um, was was tough because you could see you could see Rovers building up to a cup final and you could see the excitement and you could feel the buzz around the place and we put out an incredibly young team that night and they did their best and we can see the talent that's there but we we were nowhere near them like and it's really hard to like we were not used to not at least being competitive. We, my whole thing about it is. I don't mind losing matches and you don't mind being bettered by a better team but when you're just not at it and you're not even kind of close to pushing them that that's the stuff that really hurts I think um, and then the results of the famous this is not a halting sight sign but we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, Dan Murray he was captain uh, for Cork for, for a long mm. while and Rovers of course benefited from Cork's financial crisis we got the likes of uh, Dan Murray Pat Sullivan <coughs> Billy Dennehy uh, Danny Murphy, Murphy as well mm-hmm. so a lot of our 2010 winning team had come from Cork uh, conversely you guys have had uh, Carl Shepard Conor McCormick mm. they've been central to your recent success so it's kind of both ways I suppose yeah actually you've just reminded me of something hilarious because you know it's you know the way when other League of Ireland teams are like in Europe and you're really torn because you don't really like them but you want them to do well. When Dan scored, it was Dan that scored at Tottenham, wasn't it? Or someone scored at Tottenham. It was uh, Stephen Rice. Was it Stephen Rice? I was watching that in a pub in Cork and I just went mad like when Rovers went in front and everyone was kind of like, what's that about? <laughs> but because it was so exciting and it was so it was amazing for us to see like what we would consider still our players including Dan and, and the lads playing on that stage and actually putting it up to them and you're kind of going but yeah I mean and the other fella that came down who came down last year I can see his face uh, we took him on loan for the, the second half of the season or uh, last season yeah um, Coutrain oh Joe Coutrain yeah yeah Joe, Joel Coustrain. Um, it's funny that even though the rivalry between the clubs has been there constantly, we actually get on quite well in the sense of player exchanges. Look at Graham Cummins as well. Although I think um, probably Graham came back and got a, a bit of a hard doing from, from Cork City supporters just because he wasn't scoring goals, but he was effectively playing up front on his own and just didn't have the support. Um, and it, you know, I suppose we probably felt we were going to get a bit more from Graham, but um, the the there's always been players going back and forth. I mean, Conor McCormack is just such a great player to watch, and I think we've managed to replace him, which is which is something. Saying so, Henry O'Chang looks good, uh, very Conor McCormack esque. So, um, but it was tough seeing Conor leave, like because he these are the guys that you know really, no matter who they play for, they really want to do the best job that they're doing. So. Um, you always wonder about these guys when they switch clubs. I suppose it happens more in Dublin, amongst the Dublin clubs, than it does down down in Cork. But definitely, when fellas leave, we tend to we tend to like most of them, you know. But you know, if you're playing for a different club, then you know the loyalties end. And I suppose that's the flip side of it. When you when you see Billy Denny with a Rover shirt on, you're just like, right, <laughs> next question. <laughs> well, just as an example of how bad things got, I suppose back into. 2008, 2009 period. I remember the situation actually ended up having an effect on the Rovers' balls 
uh, title race because Rovers were mm. flying at the time, 20 games unbeaten, fully expected to beat Cork at Tala, given all the distractions the players had. Uh, it looked like the fixture wouldn't even take place at one stage because uh, the players refused to get on the bus to Dublin until uh, wages were paid. But then it was resolved in the last minute and Cork came to Dublin and won 2-1. Yeah. Goals by Sullivan and then he yeah. effectively handing the title to Bowes. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's my memory she, of 2009, <laughs> Cork City. Yeah, am I, yeah. Am I being asked to defend myself? <laughs> yes, explain it. <laughs> um... You know, like that that time isn't that long ago. Like as in, you know, I suppose that the like it's long enough that I remember these things. But it's incredible how quickly you forget, especially the traumatic stuff. You know, um there there was some absolutely horrendous stuff that happened for the for the football club at that point. And like there you know, there's all sorts of mad stories which we're never ever going to be able to put into print that we found out as part of even preparing to write this forest book just to talk about like how bad it had gotten before the supporters trust came in but you know the one thing I've learned about football is that you you know and the, the reason we all love it is that you can never write off a, a surprise or a guarantee and um, I think there are a couple of of moments in Cork City's history where like 98 now with Alamathi or nine is it 98? Um, 2008 with Alan Matthews' team. Mm-hmm. They, they were winning games they should never have won and ended up qualifying for Europe even though they didn't. They weren't getting paid week in, week out. You know, those sorts of small things. And um, Paul Doolan's team did the same, actually. But before, at the end of 2019, or 2009, before that club, that holding company of that club was liquidated. But had done really well in the Satanta Sports Cup so the one thing I'm trying to get back to I suppose is that the players in the League of Ireland I don't think I don't think any club is shy of adversity and the incredible you know kind of resilience that they've shown at times and I suppose that's where going forward for the league we need to continue that sense of solidarity between the clubs because we're never any of us are never that far off having a really tough time maybe it's circumstances outside of our control maybe it's not but unless we start actually building a sustainable foundation in the league these sort of situations are always going to crop up and that's what we don't want we don't want to lose clubs and um, we want to we want teams to be capable of springing a, a surprise or two and I think you know there's been a couple of times Cork City have been involved in like title races between other football clubs and I remember like winning at Talca Park as well at some time, beating Shells in an unexpected game as well. When was that? 2002, 2003 kind of time as well. And like nothing to play for and we just went out and <laughs> had a blinder and you're just like, where did this come from when we needed it all through the season? But yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm, I won't apologise for it. But, um. <laughs> so given the great work done by volunteers across the country which you, you've touched on uh, they're rightly called the, the lifeblood of clubs I saw Carl Ramblers had a fundraiser there yeah. to repair the dugouts damaged by uh, Storm Kira and that's been successful yeah. so like it's an uphill battle as it is so do you feel we're often let down by those who organise and promote the League of Ireland I mean RTE can't control the weather obviously but it seemed like a few blunders were made in the coverage of what should have been the first televised game yeah. of the new season day mount Starting with what we feel on this show were flimsy reasons to begin with to yeah. move it from the traditional Friday night. Well, that's what I was about to say because, um, like, it's sometimes we're so caught up in our own League of Ireland bubble that we think we have a great 
something great and unique and it's only when other people come in and go this is crazy and like the one that I'm thinking in my head is when Copa 90 did that short video on the Dublin Derby and the presenter was just absolutely buzzing completely wired from having watched the match Mm. afterwards like we know those games are great and yet there's this kind of you know I I suppose I, I try and explain it like you need to make the league uh, a better place to just watch football and that's not just down to the national associations now I'm very clear on this for me clubs are responsible for themselves but what the national association is there to do is support their development they, they're not exonerated they have a role in governance they have a role in in the kind of financial management and I think it's very fair to say that the league has got the short stick of that for too long and You know, I suppose in many ways it's just absolutely capped its potential. It hasn't been able to grow. So I'd flip it around and go, imagine if we had a dedicated executive team. And I mean that like paid employees, basically. Someone was to look after finance. Imagine if the League of Ireland had a dedicated commercial person who actually had experience in Irish sport and connections in Irish sport. Have we ever had that? And these are the sort of questions I suppose are on everyone's radar now, especially with, um, you know... The, the National Association are preparing a strategy for what to do with the League of Ireland as part of the 800 euros ring-fenced for League of Ireland football and women's football in Ireland as part of the government bailout. We also then have Kieran Lucid, who has done a massive amount of work and looked at the All-Ireland League idea. And when you have all of these people looking at what we thought we know inside out and actually going, well, Kieran's to Kieran's point, he's going... Like, where is the investment? Where is the inner inward support? You know, why isn't this doing better? Because look at the football audience that we know we have in Ireland. So what is wrong here? And then you know you're not crazy. It's a very important moment to know you're not crazy. Like the league, I think in a small way, it's kind of grown, if you think about it, it's grown in the last couple of years in terms of audience and, and commercial, but we still have a fundamental of sense of instability in most clubs in the sense that they know they have to keep on top of ca- they know they have to keep on top of cash flows just to make sure that nothing doesn't surprise them because the surprises we pretty much cannot handle. Um, and when we're that close to the wire, I, I, there's a guy called John Beach. He's excellent on football econo- um, economics. In, the last time I saw him, I think he was attached to Coventry University, but I think he might have moved around since. And I remember him talking about the fact that you can do every single thing in your power to have a sustainable football club. And that's a tall order. But he said then it's very much dictated by whether or not you're working in a sustainable environment, i.e. a sustainable league, a sustainable, you know, kind of national uh, competition and he said then that competition itself is dictated to by the game in general in Europe and if you were to look at all of those even if you have the best run club in Ireland it's going to struggle in a League of Ireland environment where it's 110 120,000 euros for prize money the cost is high um, you know you're looking at attendances and you're thinking you know they're small if you look at the UEFA reporting think there's an amazing stat out there and I'm trying to recall it off the top of my head but it's something like high 48 percent high 40 percentages of clubs who are in the top tier of their league across Europe have attendances of three and a half thousand or less so nearly half leagues in Europe their top teams their top clubs in the top division so we have to stop giving ourselves a hard time and actually look at the positives and look where we can actually expand and grow 
And going back to your question, I do think that's the National Association's role in this. Um, now, the change for me, um, myself and, and somebody from your boys in green were selected to be supporter representatives on the FEI Council last summer, last July. Um, and that has probably, is it a step forward? Absolutely. It puts supporters and actually what we think about the really interesting one is that there was a lot of talk of, well, we're all supporters. And you're kind of going, but are you organised? Are you in a trust? Are you in a group? I own my football club because I'm a supporter. Like I'm part of a fan-owned club mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, myself and Tony are part of respective committees. We've been able to engage with Noel Mooney while he was there and we're actually due to meet um, Gary Owens this coming week as well just to raise supporter issues. And what are the supporter issues? Infrastructure, sustainability, you know, giving our game in Ireland a future underage. It's the same concerns that everyone else has but with the added thing that we're directly involved because, you know, we're part of these clubs and um, managers and players and owners come and go. The supporters don't. So final question, are you going to Tala on Friday and do you have a score prediction for us? Yes, I am going to Tala on Friday. I'm really annoyed that the away supporters are over the other side these days. But, you know, we won't change that. And How we do you will... think we feel? Our show is called <laughs> Tales from the East Stand and we now sit in the South Stand. And everyone wants to change our name and we, we refuse. Yeah. So we have it much worse than you, trust me. Well, see, the, the nice thing about that away, you could always just get a cup of tea and say hello to everyone when you were in the main stand. I don't know what that's called. Like the, but I do accept it. And um, I suppose one story that I do tell people to try and emphasise what we need to do in welcoming people into League of Ireland grounds is I went to a game against Pats with a with a friend of mine and she loves football as well. She just doesn't get exposed to much Irish football, but I'm changing that. Um, we got off the Lewis. We were met uh, the armed response police. She was searched and we were searched our bags and our, our, our person going into the ground, obviously segregated, couldn't get alcohol. You know, it was a shitty experience because, you know, there was a rainy kept back 15 minutes and it was just really unpleasant even aside from the football and then uh, the following day we went to the rugby I'll just say that very quietly because you know I was going along just to see what was going on we were not searched at all going into the ground to the Aviva there was no segregation you could buy alcohol Uh, you could actually bring alcohol into your seat and watch the game Um, Mm. and it was a very different atmosphere and that's what I think we need to focus on and actually the same girl came to tell at the end of last season when we were moved over to that stand for the first side one of the coldest nights of my life so on Tala on Friday I'm going to have every layer of everything up there I'm also going to go for a one-all draw I don't think you guys will beat us yeah that's that's the cork arrogance coming through thanks very much Niamh no problem it's great to chat so Niamh um yeah uh she made it out of props layer anyway you didn't decide to (laughs) put her in the basement (laughs) dare you no I mean Niamh went to to uh a lot of detail there about you know taking over Forest, taking over CD in 2010, and she's spoken about fan-owned clubs all over Europe. She's very knowledgeable on, on this subject. The internal struggle, like, was insane between like you could identify with it. That's why I liked it. Like, ten days they had to get a training ground, kits, everything, and she's genuinely enveloped. She mm. she's born in and around the ground or lives in and around the ground. Like that's it's pretty cool. So it's a great listen. And like you say, you do relate to some of the things you said. Yeah. I mean, you know, our experience as a members club, or are we a members club, Gar? But they're big private investors. Yeah, big private investors, yeah. And, uh, and those of you uh, who like watching the videos on Patreon, I'd uh, like to hear your feedback because 
Uh, me and Kane, a videographer, were adding little visual treats to these. Hmm. For example, I had a few shots of Trevor Crowley in that one. So there's a few visual gags there. So a few snippets. So check out the videos and uh, let me know if you're enjoying them. Imagine uh, letting a player go on loan from your own team. Yeah. And saying, he score goals. Yes. <laughs> Trevor Crowley does. Oh, yeah. So, um, you have to fantastic be, stuff. You have to be impressed by what Cork did, though. In the John Caulfield era, off the pitch, because, like, obviously, success is a big part of it. But the way they tapped into their community and their social media was excellent, and the crowd just kept getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And she was part of that. She's been involved in uh, digital media for many years. I heard her speaking as well before about. Uh, do you remember that spectacular Colin Healy overhead, overhead kick? Yes. They got that out on Twitter immediately, and that went viral. And that adds to the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, no, it's definitely. Look at us. We're replaying our, our Iron Green goal on our phones again and again and again on Saturday and Sunday morning. That's from our club uh, Get it out footage. there. Because RT, did, did RT get yeah. any footage? No, I watched Soccer Republic yesterday. Yeah. Got none. Got none. Yeah. I was actually halfway through it and then I thought, bollocks. Mm. Fucking, no, there's no footage here. I would have loved it. But these are the things we have to fight against. Yeah. Because like, can you re- like a, a goal as good as Healy's a goal as dramatic as Green's can't be waiting until Monday night we do not rely on them that's the good thing I love about our club we don't rely on anybody we don't rely on RT soccer public the FAI nothing we get things done and that is what I love about the club and most mm. of the clubs are do, do that anyway because why would you rely on an association like that you can't it's impossible mm. um, it's in limbo so uh, like I said definitely a good interview great to have her on so, like I said, we'll do one or two more of them. Uh, we've got a dairy one coming up soon, and you'll like the nickname of this fella I've got here. Scoops. Scoops! That's his name. <laughs> Scoops. Yeah. <laughs> so the trick, trick is finding the Dublin That has to mean ones. something else up there. Yeah. The trick is finding ones that live in Dublin, and he does, so. Ah, very good, very good. Yeah. We'll have uh, a couple more sneaky ones coming up as well, so tune mm-hmm. in. And sign up for Patreon as well, if you want to see them, and put a face to the voice. Exactly. But uh, Patreon in particular, yeah, that's a fantastic. I mean, how good is Patreon? Like, I'm signed up for like other stuff as well. You have like other stuff. Oh, millions! <laughs> <laughs> Just sign up, <laughs> give us money. Right, we've got Cork at home, so yeah, we have our start 11s and predictions. Okay, so considering all things put aside. We'll go again, same, we'll go, Alan Manison goal, we'll have Joey's out, so it's going to be Scales, Pico and Grace, centre half, uh, going to go Ronan Finn on the right, Lafferty was great, but I'd love to see Ferrugia, we can afford to play for. I know exactly what my team is. We can afford to play Ferrugia For the, the two left. games, by At the home. way, Cork and Waterford Monday, I have both teams picked. Okay, so left, I'm going to play Ferrugia because I think we can afford to play him at home on a big pitch like this and go for it. So I'm going to put him there. Uh, I'm going to go McInniff in the middle with Gary O'Neill, most accomplished player in the league at the minute. Uh, I don't think we mentioned him in the derby, did we? How, no, how, 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 was how he? excellent was he? He's just a Rolls-Royce. A lot of people's a man to match. Just skips around and pings balls around. He's actually can do it all. It's all-around game. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's he's he's the first name, first name in the team. Uh, Gary O'Neill, McInniff, Jack Bourne, Bork and Green and that's how we'll go in there 
My team is... I thought Borky, Borky got a bit of a bad rap. I thought he ran his fucking legs off, ran his socks off against Bowes and it, the conditions didn't help anybody. I thought he was good. I thought he was proactive and tried to get stuck in. He just ran his socks off and he, he just he got subbed. It wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm going to go for 3-1. No, why, why would we concede at home? 3-0. Cork are pretty soft at the minute. They're gelling. They won't score. 3-0. I'm going to bring in Ferrugia, Scales and Marshall. For the Marshall Cork, for the Cork game, right, and then Waterford revert back to Lafferty and Finn and Joey if he's fit. Yeah, I can't see Joey being fit. I can see Joey being out for a while now with the shoulder. If it's the same shoulder as the one he struggles with, that he did get did or didn't get an operation on. I'm not sure. He's due one. He was due one. I'm not sure if he had it, but shoulders for Joey to come off holding his shoulder and then was in a sling doing his Alan Shearer celebration. I think he's out for a while. No, and Joey, he'll just play in a sling. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so that's mine. I'm going for three now. What are you going for? Do you have a Waterford prediction? Well? Waterford prediction, I'm going to say... They've a bit of a bit of a win behind them at the minute. I'm going to say us... 2-1 win. To come, to come from behind. How about that? I say 2-1 win. I'm the Cork... And a bit of a scrappy 1-0 win in Waterford. Oh, yes. So, um, as far as buses go, we're running a bus to Longford. So, please, this is just an experimental thing. We're trying to give the B team a bit of a boost and show them that we do care about them because the hatred aimed towards them has been aggressive and unwarranted. So, please, sign up. I had about 30 names originally for it. I just need you to reconfirm with us that you're going to be on the bus. So Instagram, you can get get us through Facebook and Twitter. Please reconfirm. It's going to be leaving the, from the about 3 o'clock on Saturday. And uh, we're meeting up about one and a half, twelve for points as well. It's going to be a great day out. Go down and see the B team, beat Longford down in the City Collins Stadium, whatever whatever they call it. And uh, Waterford, there's going to be the WAC Express. There's going to be the GTSC, the Hoops SC. Probably the rings down and trying to get something off the ground to go. So before some big away game of the season, everybody get on and get down and, and try and uh, support the hoops. So long for the way. Do not forget, get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Riley Parsons. Um, yeah, so the Junior Hoops 2020 will be launched in the stadium on the 29th of February, the day after the Dundalk game. It also happens to be the first day of the B game. The, the B game? Mm-hmm. The B team home game. So um, yeah, time to... The time's going to be confirmed, but some great stuff in the goodie bags this year. And, uh, yeah, so the junior hoops. Prices is still 10 quid to join up, so definitely get involved. It's great. They're great guys. They do a lot of good work. And uh, the B team get their first division underway. So, like I said, run the bus along for the Saturday. And let's get down and have a bit of crack as well. But, uh, yeah, don't forget to sign them up for junior hoops. Junior hoops are really, really good. They do a lot. All out of their own pocket and... They just they're really really good in and around the stadium. They make a, the match day a lot better for these kids and like like I said, Jaden's in it. All the other kids are in it. It's great. So um, that I think that's pretty much it for today, Prof. You got anything else to add? I don't. Apart from our veins bursting full of winners here. Two very happy hosts today. Two very very giddy happy hosts. Legs are hopping up and down here and just thinking about how good a weekend it was. Beating balls in daily mounts and. Soaked, soaked atmosphere, and just nine toward minute. Him burying it into the top corner. And Gary's looking off into the distance here. <laughs> just reminiscing. This is why we have Patreon. You could watch Gary look into the distance one day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks again to Ocean Electrical for all your electrical needs, and don't forget our Watts uh, giveaway. So every time Watts scores a goal, you have to tag us, retweet us, the whole lot, and you'll get a lovely, lovely prize. So that was a real light bulb moment. Yeah. <laughs>
Oh, can't think of that. I'm not quick enough. I need Maloney type <laughs> quickness for this. But that is it for this week. Very, very happy house. We will see you in the South Stand. Block X, 18.99 sweet. Don't forget to go in and get your points beforehand. And uh, keep on hoping. See ya. If I had